find yourself in a world that no longer makes sense. When you realize that a man like Epstein didn't Epstein himself. When the police are defunded, but Pakistan gets a gender studies grant. You may be in the Collapse Experiment. Hello, and welcome to another special episode of the Collapse Experiment podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about Operation Lockstep. This gem of a report was produced by the Rockefeller Foundation and Global Business Network back in May of 2010. 2010. Seems like so long ago, but, but it wasn't. Oh my god. So this report comes up quite a bit on uh, InfoWars, and Alex Jones likes to refer to this, and we're going to find out pretty soon as to why, why this is. It's a very short report, it's about 60 pages, but we're not covering all of that because a lot of this is just self-masturbation with the people who put this thing together. The actual important part of this report is very, very short, and that's what we're going over today. But first, here's the letters from Rudith Roden. Again, not important. It's just, we're so great, we're so awesome, this is why we put this together. And a letter from Peter Schwartz, co-founder and chairman of the Global Business Network. Uh, Again, why this is so great. Introduction. Does anybody ever read the introduction? Anybody who's worth anything knows not to do that. The scenario framework. Nope, we're going to skip that too. I believe it is page scenario narratives. Lockstep 2020 vision, the world tightening top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. Okay, let's get started. This is actually page 18. And this is this is really short, but you're going to find that a lot of the things I'm going to be reading on here are things that have either already happened or you know are going to be on the way. Now, this is a scenario. This is them trying to map out what might happen in the near future. In 2012, the pandemic that would that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Why are we anticipating a pandemic? Unlike the 2009's H1N1, this new influenza strain originated from wild geese, was extremely virulent and deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just 7 months. The majority of them healthy young adults. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on economics, international mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt. Debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains, even locally, normally... Bustling shops and office buildings sat empty for months, devoid of both employees and customers. Very convenient. The pandemic blanketed the planet, even though through disproportionate numbers 
Uh, let's see here. The pandemic blanketed the planet, though disproportionate numbers died in Africa, Southeast Asia, and Central America, where the virus spread like wildfire in the absence of official contaminant protocols. I might actually just stop there because um, this is them thinking ahead, and this is all wrong. <laughs> the The countries that had the the worst numbers were the ones that had the harshest lockdowns. Except for Australia, where they're just freaking nuts. But even in developed countries, containment was a challenge. The United States' initially initial policy of strongly discouraging citizens from flying proved deadly in its leniency, accelerating the spread of the virus, just not just within the U.S., but across borders. However, a few countries did far better. Did, did fare better. Uh, China in particular, the Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens was well, as well as instant and near her hermetic sealing off of all borders, saved millions of lives, stopped the spread of the virus far earlier than in other countries and enabling a swifter post-pandemic recovery. Well, <clears throat> this is them already making an argument to um, do a Chinese-style lockdown. How did they know that China was going to respond like that? That's very interesting. China's government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed an airtight rules and restrictions from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified. Hmm. This is, remember, this is 12 years ago. They slapped this report together 12 years ago. It's all from their imaginations. In order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems, from pandemics and transitional terrorism, transnational terrorism, to environmental crisis and rising poverty. Why is poverty rising? It hasn't been for two decades now. That's weird. It's almost like the... the Controls of the pandemic are causing more poverty. Anyways, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. At first, the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval. <clears throat> Wrong! Citizens willingly gave up, giving up some of their sovereignty and their privacy to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. Citizens were more tolerant and even eager for top-down direction and oversight. This is where they think it's going? Seriously? And national leaders had more latitude to impose order in the ways they saw fit. In developed countries, this heightened oversight took many forms. Biometric IDs for all citizens, for example, and tighter regulation of key industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interest in many developed countries and forced operation with a suit of new regulations and agreements slowly but steadily restored both order and, importantly, 
economic growth. They don't care about economic growth. Seriously. What the hell? Across the developing world, however, the story was different and much more variable. Top-down authority took different forms in different countries, hinging largely on the capacity, caliber, and intentions of their leaders. In countries with strong, thoughtful leaders, citizens' overall economic status and quality of life increased. In India, for example, air quality drastically improved after 2016 when the government outlawed high-emitted vehicles. <laughs> okay. In Ghana, the introduction of ambitious government programs to improve basic infrastructure and ensure the availability of clean water for all their people led to a sharp decline in waterborne diseases. But more authoritarian leadership worked less well, and in some cases, tragically, in countries run by irresponsible elites who use their increased power to pursue their own interests in the expense of other citizens. There were other downsides as the rise of virtual nationalism uh, created new hazards. Specters at the 2018 World Cup, for example, were war bulletproof vests that sported a patch of their national flag. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, boy. Strong technology regulations stifled innovation, kept cost high, and curbed adoption. Uh, in the developing world, access to approved technologies increased, but beyond that remained limited. The locus of technology innovation was largely in the developed world, leading many developing countries on the receiving end of technologies that other, others considered best for them see here. Some governments found the patronizing and found this patronizing and refused to distribute computers and other technologies that they scoffed at as secondhand. Meanwhile, developing countries with more resources and better capacity began to innovate internally to fill the gaps on their own. Yeah. Not really seeing that happening. Um, yeah, so actually I'm almost done with this section, so let's keep going. Meanwhile, in the developed world, the presence of so many top-down rules and norms greatly inhibited entrepreneurial activity. Scientists and innovators were often told by governments what research lines to pursue and were guided mostly towards projects would make money yeah that doesn't work when government tells you like what to build and pursue in order to make money <laughs> that doesn't work at all market-driven develop product development or for sure bets fundamental research leaving more risky or innovative research areas largely untapped well-off countries and Monopolistic companies with big research and development budgets still made significant advances, but the IP behind their breakthroughs remained locked behind strict national or corporate protection. Unless China gets involved, in case they just steal it. Russia and India imposed stringent domestic standards for supervising and certifying encryption-related products and their suppliers, a category that 
in reality meant all IT innovations the U.S. and EU struck back with retaliatory national standards, throwing a wrench in the development and diffusion of technology globally. I don't see any of this crap happening. Especially in the developing world, acting in one nationals, one's national self-interest often meant seeking practical alliances that fit with those interests, whether it was gaining access to national resources or banding together in order to achieve economic growth. In South America and Africa, regional and sub-regional alliances became more structured. Kenya doubled its trade with Southern and Eastern Africa. As new partnerships grew within the continent, China's investment in Africa expanded as the bargain of new jobs and infrastructure in exchange for access to key minerals or food exports providing agreeable, proved agreeable to many governments. Man, okay, so they must have had like a really optimistic uh, view as to how things are going to go down after uh, <laughs> this virus. Cross-border ties proliferated in the forms of official security aid, while the employment of foreign net security teams were welcomed in some of the most dire failed states, one-size-fits-all solutions yielded few positive results. By 2025, people seem to be growing weary of some much top-down control and letting leaders and authoritarians make choices for them. By 2025, so the virus was supposed to hit in 2012, but it took 13 years for people to get sick of top... <laughs> We're like two years into this shit, and people are already tired of it. Uh, wherever national interests clash with individual interests, there is there was conflict. Sporadic pushback became increasingly organized and coordinated as disaffected youth and people who had seen their status and opportunities slip away, largely in developing countries, incited civil unrest. It did, it's not taking 13 years. In 2026, protesters in Nigeria brought down the government fed up with the entrenched cronyism and corruption. Even those who liked the greater stability and predictability of its new world began to grow uncomfortable and constrained by so many tight rules and by the strictness of national boundaries, the feeling lingered that sooner or later something would inevitably upset the neat order that the world's governments had worked so hard to establish. Okay. <laughs> so here are some of the headlines that are supposed to take place in the lockstep timeline. And this is from 2010 to 2030. 2013, quarantine restricts in-person contact cellular networks overloaded. 2015, intercontinental trade hit by strict pathogen controls. Yeah, we saw some of that crap. Uh, 2017, Italy addresses imminent caregiver gap with robots. Great. 2020, uh, will Africa's embrace of authoritarian capitalism in La China continue? Mm, okay. 
2022, Vietnam to require a solar panel on every home. <laughs> 2025, proliferating trade networks in Eastern and Southern Africa strengthen regional ties. 2028, African leaders fear repeat of Nigeria's 2026 government collapse. Yeah, this is all, um, obviously, most of this didn't come true. I think the, um, the whole robot caregiver thing is pretty funny, um, considering Elon Musk talking about how we're having a uh, collapse in population. China's already seen something like this with their one-child policy. Um, philanthropy. Right, okay. Technology in lockstep. Um, let's look at some of these. Uh, technology in lockstep. Scanners using advanced functional magnetic resonance imaging technology become the norm at airports and other public areas to detect abnormal behavior that may indicate antisocial intent. What the is that? Wow. Okay. Uh, in the aftermath of pandemic scare, smarter packaging for food and beverages is applied first by big companies and producers in a business-to-business -business environment and then adopted for individual products and consumers. Weird. Uh, new diagnostics are developed to detect uh, communicable diseases. The application of health screening also changes Screening becomes a prerequisite for release from a hospital or prison, successfully showing the spread of many diseases. Oh, uh, no, that's, that's actually not true. The opposite would be true. Uh, telepresent technologies respond to the demand for less expensive, lower bandwidth, uh, sophisticated communication systems for populations whose travel is restricted. Wait, what? Why is travel restricted? Driven by protectionism and national security concerns, nations create their own independent nationally defined IT networks mimicking China's firewalls. Great. Uh, governments have varying degrees of success in policing internet traffic but these efforts, nevertheless, fracture the World Wide Web. Yeah, um, hate to say it, but we have a First Amendment, and I think with some of the stuff that's going on, we're going to start seeing some, uh, some changes when it comes to Internet policy and free speech. Thank you, Zuckerberg, for running your mouth. <laughs> I think he just ruined what the Democrats had going. Um, life. In lockstep. There are some highlighted features in here. Let's see here. Life in lockstep. The Indian government's gangs purification initiative. Until recently, the gangs is still one of the most polluted rivers in the world. So they're trying to think, say that some developing countries, I would consider India a developing country, are going to actually start cleaning up the messes that they have going on. Um, Clever Together, a world in which highly coordinated and successful strategies emerge for addressing both urgent and entrenched worldwide issues. Yeah, that's not happening. I, I 
none of this crap that they're talking about doing, the stuff that's supposed to benefit people, are things governments are actually participating in. Actually, I see them concentrating more on climate change than I do clean drinking water. What is often surprising about new technologies is collateral damage. The extent of the problem that you can create by solving another problem is always a bit of a surprise. <clears throat> no shit. <laughs> uh, that, that, is, that should be the motto of the Democratic Party and the, the left at this point is, um, we're, we're going to fix these problems by creating more problems to fix later. That should be Joe Biden's motto. Uh, headlines and clever together. Clever together. What the hell? Um, maybe I should do a second uh, reading of this part in another episode. They seem to be having these different sections in here that um, have all their own timelines. They address certain issues. Um, yeah, so lockstep, top-down control, um, then there's clever together, which, uh, already I can tell you that this is probably just a bunch of, um, a bunch of BS. Let's see here. Let's pick some clips here. In 2015, a critical mass of middle-income and developed countries with strong economic growth publicly committed a leveraging, committed to leveraging the resources against global-scale problems, beginning with climate change. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because um, those are the countries that need to start doing How about you look at China and India? Like, they are, what, a third of the world population, just those two countries, and... They create 90% of the world's pollution. So I think we're looking at the wrong places if you want to actually fix the pollution slash carbon slash what, nitrogen now. Nitrogen's an issue. It's not methane. Isn't like methane supposed to be like the real harsh gas, but somehow nitrogen, which is more than 70% of our breathing air, is an issue. New globally coordinated systems for monitoring energy use capacity, including smart grids and bottom-up pattern recognition technologies, were rolled out. Um, yeah, that would be the smart meters that they're trying to put in everybody's houses, so they can just shut your power off if you're using too much. Um, let's take a quick look at the rest of what is in lockstep. We're 31 pages in here. Um, hack attack. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, there's several sections in here. So here's an outline for hacker attacks. They're supposed to take place in the near future. Smart scramble, localized makeshift solutions to growing set of problems. <clears throat> you are the carbon that they want to reduce and they are the problems that they create. <laughs> That should be my ending motto now. Uh, smart scramble. What the? They come up with all these creative names. Concluding thoughts. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm actually going to break this up into sections to help 
uh, organize these podcast episodes because uh, there appears to be four different sections for Operation Lockstep. So Hack Attack, Clever Together, ugh. and what is this one? Well, I guess the first one is Lockstep 2020 Vision, although that was um, 2020 Vision is a note that was added in here. So there's Lockstep, and the next one will be Clever Together. So join me in the next episode for Clever Together. A world in which highly coordinated and successful strategies emerge for addressing both urgent and entrenched worldwide issues. Lockstep. Thoughts on lockstep. Yes, they're they're definitely mapping out how and why they want a top-down government. They didn't go into the whole global government, but I guarantee you that they're going to use that as an excuse for like, hey, you don't like these authoritarians in charge? Why don't you let us run everything? Because that couldn't possibly be worse. So yeah, that's um, locked up. And um, next episode will be Clever Together. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Collapse Experiment podcast. And remember, you are the carbon they want to reduce. Thank you for listening to the Collapse Experiment podcast. For more content, check out thecollapseexperiment.com where you can find the latest news articles. If you'd like to help out this podcast, check out books by Matthew Gilman on Amazon, or you should just buy gold and silver. Just just buy gold and silver. It's it's a better investment, and uh, you might actually have something to trade later on when the world <laughs> falls apart.